Today on Podcast by the Bay. But then he comes up to me and looks me in the face and says, dude, there's a huge, huge concert going on in upstate New York, and we have to be there. It's important that you and I are there. We're taking you back to the year 1969 and speak with radio producer and our good friend, Tim McGovern, who takes us on a journey on his experience at the iconic Woodstock Festival. Our purpose was to, not to prove, but to show people, you know, worldwide that, you know, massive groups of people could be together and live together and be peaceful and love each other. It was like a gigantic love in, if I may get a bit, you know, corny. But that's what it was because there was no tension. Oh, coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com and also Highway Soul Productions. www.highwaysoul.com and now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay, everybody. And today, we have a very special guest, our good friend Tim McGovern from Timboland. And so today, one of the things that we've known Tim for a long time, we've always talked to him about many of the issues that are happening, but one of the things about Tim is he has a great background in the radio industry, in the production industry, and today we're actually going to feature on one of his experiences at the greatest rock concerts in history, and that rock concert was Woodstock. And so Tim has a great, wonderful experience at Woodstock that we're going to share and get into today. So Tim, welcome to the show today. How's it going? How you doing, Andre? It's great to hear from you, man. This is an honor. No, we appreciate you. We appreciate you uh, coming on the show, and uh, we're excited to kind of hear about your experience. And this is going to be the 50th anniversary of Woodstock this year. And so it's just mind-blowing, no pun intended, (laughs) but to think that Woodstock was actually 50 years ago, and it's an event, one of the most iconic, important events in the history of of rock and roll music, in the history of music in general. I mean, when people talk about concerts and when people talk about the iconic concert, Woodstock was it. So I think all of us are wondering, Tim, all of us are wondering how, what was going on in your life? How did this even come to be? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting deal how we ended up or how I ended up at Woodstock. Uh, I'll give you a little prelude here. Uh, a bunch of us guys that most of us were had been out of the military for a year or so. And uh, a bunch of my boys from Pittsburgh uh, in our little village of Mount Washington decided we wanted to go to Atlantic City. So we jumped on buses. Uh, some guys drove down there uh, to Atlantic City because we had heard there was going to be the first massive outdoor concert 
And it was, in fact, the biggest uh, concert before Woodstock outside in Atlantic City with Vanilla Fudge, John Sebastian, Janis Joplin, Big Brother, and the Holden Company, and many of the groups that actually showed up at Woodstock. So it got to be uh, the about the middle of August. We had just been uh, working odd jobs all year, trying to feed ourselves, keep ourselves, you know, keep ourselves in beer and and other sundries. And uh, uh, a buddy of mine who, uh, you know, had a very close friend of mine actually by the name of Denny LeCavett came to me. I think it was about August 10th or so. Again, things are a little hazy and a little foggy. You're asking me to go back 50 years. Dude, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing that. On my recall, some of it's vivid, some of it's a little cloudy, so I'll do the best I can. But Denny comes up to me and looks me in the face and says, dude, there's a huge, huge concert going on in upstate New York, and we have to be there. It's important that you and I are there. And I said, well, okay, man, but remember, I got to get back to school. I was going to the University of Pittsburgh at that time. And it was, uh, you know, I was supposed to be there sometime in the first week of September or whatever, which all worked out. And uh, I really, you know, I didn't have any choice. I didn't have a car there. He had this gorgeous uh, Stingray uh, Corvette. He said, come on, jump in, and we're going to drive up to uh, this concert. We didn't even know what it was called at the time, to be honest with you. And I said, okay, let's roll. So we left about, uh, I want to say about Friday, I think it was the 15th or 16th of August. We left about two or three o'clock in the morning. I kind of nodded off and finally he's nudging me and he said, Timmy, Timbo, get up, get up. And we, I got up and as we headed up the uh, throughway or freeway, whatever the hell they call it in uh, New York state, we were surrounded by cars. He couldn't go any further. There were cars on both sides of us. There were car, cars parked in the grass divider, uh, you know, leading uh, upstate. So we had to stop. We had to stop and find a place to park. And uh, we did. We pulled over, got a place to park, a safe place for his beloved Stingray. And uh, we got out of the car and looked around, and there were literally thousands and thousands of people starting to walk up, up towards the actual concert. And, and this was in the morning. This was like early in the morning, or this was. I want to like say we got. Now we got there probably about six in the morning, as I recall, six or seven in the morning, Friday morning. So we, you know, we were in great shape, man. We had just been in the military. We were used to forced marches and all kinds of stuff. So but <laughs> this was the first time we actually had grown our hair out. Now remember, man, we had been wearing buzz haircuts for, for about the, myself about four years, Denny about three years, and man, our hair was grown out. We had beards, and you know, we were we were real freaks. We were there. We were with the other freaks, as they called mm-hmm. us in those days. So we started marching upwards, and and I it was it was so surreal because in actuality we were eighteen miles from the concert from wow. the, where we would have a view. So we had to we had to march about eighteen miles with thousands of other people going in both directions. 
there were choppers overhead, UEs, by the way, which we were used to, UE choppers flying around, and there were police everywhere. But I noticed as, uh, as we trudged upward, the police weren't hassling anybody. They weren't bothering people. People were smoking doobies on their way up. In fact, we had a little doobie. We each had a boater bag filled with some fine, very young wine. And we, we just, yeah, we just started marching upwards. And I remember this vividly. And dude walks up to me and he goes, hey, man, you ought to try a little of this, dude. It'll take you places you've never been. So Whoa. we passed on that. It was probably acid or something. And, you know, we mm-hmm. weren't real druggies or anything. It's, you know, mm-hmm. we hadn't been there and that wasn't our deal. So we thank God we passed on, on that particular uh, item. So we kept marching. And everybody, half the people were, were nude. I mean, it was surrealistic. You know, the ladies had taken their tops off and, and you know, so it was kind of cool, actually, as I recall. And we kept marching and marching upwards. And there were a lot of bikers there. And they had these, I remember these dudes with German helmets on, the first World War helmets with spikes on the top of them. They're flying around up there, like Hell's Angels, I guess, and some other uh, some other motorcycle gangs from that part of the, of the East Coast. But nobody was hassling anybody. It was very peaceful. It, again, it was surreal. It was like, a, you know, and again, I'm in a semi-altered state by this time. And But I could see this view. And it was like, I swear, I, I was seeing rainbows or something. But all of all of this massive humanity marching upwards. And we were all trying to get to the same place, you know. And uh, people were, you know, giving each other hugs and hellos and peace, brother. There was a lot of peace stuff going on in, in that time in 69. And, uh, you know, we, we were, uh, you know, a lot of hippies, freaks. That's whatever they call us. That's what we were. We were young people, a new generation that fell in love with rock and roll. And music was a massive, massive part of our lives. So we wanted to get there. and and actually in person see the bands we had been to this great uh, as i said pop festival in atlantic city the first big one of uh, you know outdoor uh, stadium in atlantic city and that was terrific and then we followed it up with what turned out to be woodstock so we well, kept marching yeah it was a trip man we kept marching and moving upward and I would say about, uh, we left about six or so in the morning on our march, maybe about one or two in the afternoon, we finally got where we could see, you know, barely see the stage. And on the stage was, uh, I recall this vividly, was Country Joe McDonald. And Country Joe was a local guy from the Bay Area, and he was he was well in a way. And then... Uh, Can Heat came on, uh, Carlos Santana, Santana, Black Magic Woman, Uh, then the dead, the Grateful Dead was up there, and we're just standing there in awe, and it started to drizzle a little bit by that time, and uh, we were exhausted. So I decided to take a little nap, and I I noticed before I laid down there, I said, Benny, there must be 60,000, 70,000 people here. And I remember getting up about two or three hours later, and we were surrounded. We were in the middle 
surrounded by this mass of humanity. And it was about four, five, six hundred thousand people it had grown to because kids from all over the country had heard about this event, about this magical event happening at, uh, up in upstate New York. And it kept growing and growing. And I, I swear by the time, you know, it rolled around in late afternoon, there must have been eight or nine hundred thousand kids there. They say a million, maybe, you know, give or take, who cares? But we were surrounded by these people in this. Somehow they had managed where, uh, you know, their sound, they had these gigantic, gigantic speakers. And somehow they, we could actually hear the music. We tried to get a little bit closer, a little bit closer as we kind of forced our way through the crowd. So we had a better vantage point. And uh, I'll never forget this, man. And uh, Jimi Hendrix came on and he did his Star Spangled Banner thing. And uh, he, as I looked at him, here's this big, beautiful black dude with this giant guitar, man. It was, it looked so big, even with him, you know. So he's well in a way. And then we saw, then the Who came on. Uh, after, a con you know, after listening all night to various groups like uh, John Sebastian and, again, Grateful Dead, Mountain, uh, uh, 10 years after, you know, we're listening, we're listening to all these, all these great iconic bands of the time. So in the morning, the who came on that morning, Saturday morning, it would have been the who uh -huh. came on uh -huh, and they, uh -huh. they played, they played for at least two and a half hours. It was, it was amazing. And then followed up directly and a little, they jammed a little bit with Jefferson at the time, airplane with Ray Slick and uh, Paul Kantner, who turned out to be a good friend of mine here on the West Coast. So it was uh, it was beyond comprehension the uh, the input that we were getting, and we were surrounded again by people. Uh, there were little uh, shops set up where you could buy uh, some you know some drugs. Let's just say the way it was, man. There were drugs for sale all over the place. And then there was food because we, you know, we, uh, people didn't have any food. Denny and I had, had fully packed backpacks, you know, because we were used to this type of situation from the military. So we had plenty to eat and uh, plenty of wine. And uh, Well, that, that's, a, that's a good question. So, so you guys were there for three days. Where did you guys sleep and what did you guys eat? We just slept on the ground below us. We just jumped. We had our uh, sleeping bags with us. I mean, it, it was cool with us. We were used to being outdoors most of the time on maneuvers and bivouac and all that. So we, we just rolled up in our, in our sleeping bags and went to sleep and bobbed up and bobbed up. You know, we kept bobbing up every, uh, we'd take naps and then and we'd hear another band playing and we'd jump up and play again. And by uh, late uh, Saturday afternoon, there were at least uh, at least eight eight hundred thousand people there. So again, I mean, it was it was mind boggling, and I was overwhelmed at t at times. And I got a little you know a little paranoid, a little freaked out by the massive humanity that was around us. And I remember this instance. I stood up, and Denny was down. He was taking his rest, 
And I looked around, and again, I saw the, this mass of humanity. And I get a tap on my shoulder, and I turned around, and it's this guy by the name of Tommy Carpenter from Mount Washington. <laughs> Out of all the hundreds of thousands of people there, and he goes, what do you think so far, Timbo? <laughs> I said, this is pretty cool, man. This is pretty cool. And I looked away for a minute and looked uh, behind me again, and he was gone. So how he found me or I, how he just walked by me, I, we'll never figure that one out. But uh, so we we went on and we realized uh, on Sunday, after listening to all this phenomenal music and meeting all kinds of people, actually from all over the world, people had, had already planned to come from Europe and all over as far away as California. Now, remember, we're all the way on the East Coast in New York, but people started coming and pouring in from all over the country. That's, wow. you know, close to a million people were there. I mean, that's wow. no exaggeration either. So we realized at one point, we we're going to have to get out of there. So Sunday night, uh, we decided, well, we better start our, our track back. Then he started to get a, a little worried about his beloved uh, Corvette. So we, we started going back. And it took us about 10 hours to get back to his car, 10 or 12 hours to get back. By some miracle, we found his car. We're able to turn around on the throughway there and head back uh, towards uh, Pittsburgh. And that took us another 20, 24 hours just to get back. But you really can't appreciate unless, you, you know, you were there to be uh, just to be in the in the company of literally hundreds of thousands of kids and everybody was so kind. Every, every Everything was about peace. It really was, and about you know, we, I didn't see any fights. I didn't see anybody taking advantage, really, of anybody. And these police, uh, state police troopers, were just walking around digging it. You know, sooner or later, they took their their hats off and were saying hello to the kids. They were dropping in food from choppers by that time because there was no water, there was no food to, uh, to eat. So they decided rather than let you know let us uh, get in trouble or, or you know be starved they dropped food out of choppers and they brought the, what whatever vehicles they could up to the stage and tried to feed everybody well obviously you're not going to be able to feed 800,000 people but it was the whole tenor of of this group of people it was so mellow you know and nobody seemed concerned it was like here we are we're all together we're going to enjoy this peace and love and joy and all that good stuff which was real at that time in our history man uh, the youth of america really just wanted peace i'm not going to get on you know a, a soapbox and preach but at that time that's really what was in our hearts we just wanted to get along listen to great music because some of the greatest musicians in my opinion that ever lived were were making music in those days so anyway well, we finally yeah. get to denny's car as i said I'm, I'm sorry i'm being redundant here and we drove back to pittsburgh but this whole period of time that i was there it truly was like a dream 
<laughs> it just, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I, I, there's no way you can explain uh, the atmosphere unless you were there. All I can do is relate through my uh, feeble old mind what I recall. It was fabulous. Well, you know, it's definitely, I think, media, I guess the history kind of remembers this as this iconic uh you know concert of the you know of history it's 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 like the history now what you're describing it's incredible i mean just incredible hearing your experience and you you really take us there with you while you're on your journey one of the things i think i'm just realizing as you're describing this it really talks about that people really came together for a purpose and so what was that purpose of, of really coming together well the purpose was for us was that I guess once we had all gathered there, rather than people or, or some kind of madness going on, our purpose was to, not to prove, but to show people, you know, worldwide that, you know, massive groups of people could be together and live together and be peaceful and love each other. It was like a gigantic love in, if I may get a bit, you know, corny, but that's what it was because there was no tension. There was mm-hmm. nothing, and there were uh, there was not any uh, anger being shown. Just peace, man. Just peace. Mm-hmm. We're here together. We're going to enjoy this. And from there is where the peace movement really uh, originated and started to accelerate throughout the '60s and early '70s. That people could, in fact, you know, in communes, if they wanted to go in that direction. Or in just general everyday life, they they could be they could be kind to each other. The whole thing was it was about kindness. Be kind to each other, you know. Uh, don't berate anybody. Don't show any discrimination, no matter how long or how short your hair is, what color you are, what religion you are, and that's really was the major theme of that movement. You know, was that we could all live in peace, we could all love each other, and there was no need for war. Which, of course, we believed at that time. You know, we truly believed there could be peace throughout the world. But the world is what it is, and, you know, things obviously changed as the years went by. Well, that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, summary and, and kind of, um, you know, how, how, how the vision was for the concert. I mean, I think that that's resonates, and I think even today people could learn a lot from that kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, just way of uh, approaching approaching it. Um, so I guess before we ha- sign off, I did want to kind of touch bases because there were some incredible bands, and you have a really great first-hand experience of many of these bands, not only from Woodstock, but from many other great shows and, and th- productions you've been a part of, producing shows, um, and, and things like that. So some of the bands, I just want to mention a couple of them. And I just, you know, you know, Hendrix, of course. I mean, you know, that's probably one of his premier uh, performances. But also you have guys like Paul Butterfield, blues band, right? Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Um, Johnny Winter. I mean. You know, I got to see Johnny Winter. Uh, and uh, I did see a, a part of. Uh, Paul Butterfield's band, and of course Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Neil Young, as I recall. Yeah, Neil Young had that had been the first performance, or one of the first performances he did when he when he joined Crosby, Stills, and Nash. 
So those guys were there, and they sounded phenomenal. Uh, you know, Steve Stills on guitar, of course, and his great voice, and the blending of David Crosby and Neil Young, Graham Nash, uh, phenomenal. And of course, they went on to be maybe our most successful group, uh, American group ever. So it, yeah, it's it all kind of emanated from there, and. And, and again, and again, what we wanted to, to do, what, what the greatest thing, and I, I still live with it every day. I still, I'm, you know, I'm a 72 year old man and I still believe in peace and love. And, you know, why can't we all just get along? And it's, it's just tragic that we let so much of that go as we, you know, uh, assimilated into uh, the American way of life. We lost so many of those great values in the name of success and money and other things. Uh, you know, it's sad. I, I've held on to too much of it for too long. Maybe that, maybe that's why, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't do some of the things I wish I would have done, you know, I just, and I'm still holding on to that. And uh, you, you might say I'm an old hippie freak, lad. <laughs> well, I mean, but I, I think that's a great point. And, um, you know, wh- why do you think our society has changed from that from that moment in time? I mean, we were it sounds like everybody was focused. Everybody was connected. Everybody was feeling the vibes. And they they actually changed the world. You guys changed the world. You guys actually went and you guys brought the change to the world. And what's really happened, do you think, to our society that that where people have kind of gone away from that they they moved away from the the love each other you know um as bob marley would say well i think a lot of it unfortunately has to do with the electronic revolution uh of us uh, becoming more and more dependent on our devices and uh and not it's instead of calling somebody or going to meet somebody, you text them or whatever. I think you lose a lot of humanity with these devices i i think it's uh, you know, people don't gather like they used to. They don't visit each other like they used to because of uh, Skype and things like that. Mm-hmm. Not that it's bad or I'm condemning it in, in any way. It's cool stuff. I use it all the time, you know, in work that I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, but we became, I think we lost focus and because of the our economy our you know we we realized i guess you might say when we supposedly became mature adults that it was very important money was essential that you know you had to go out and make as much money as you possibly could to live comfortably in, in this country and anywhere you had uh, it, the focus change from that to, you know, sharing and everybody having enough. And I'm not talking about communism or anything like that, or I'm not going down any political roads, but I think we just lost touch with each other. We lost the human element. The human element. We lost the ability to really communicate with our fellow man in a personal fashion. And I think uh, consequently that that has made the next couple of, you know, the X generation. And again, I'm not bad mouthing anybody and other generations uh, aren't as personal, aren't as comfortable being, uh, you know, discussing and, uh, you know, they can go somewhere. And I see it in places like, you know, in coffee shops and Starbucks, and there are people actually sitting and talking to each other. 
I always mm-hmm. go, yeah, right on, and talk mm-hmm. to each other, because yeah. uh, our kids, you know, are, are are don't have that same thing open to them. They can communicate directly to each other on a device, and I think that's taken a lot away from our society. Well, you know, that's a great point. I think, uh, I, you know, I think there, there's the quote or. I even I was we were having a discussion meetup. We have our discussion meetups on occasion, and we brought up the point that while we're actually more, um, you know, connected more than ever, right through electronics, we're actually more disconnected as far as hu- human nature, right? Um, and I think that really well, without question, yeah. without question, yeah. I mean, it, I think it resonates exactly kind of what you're saying, and that that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. We we've we've changed, uh, and I think that that's a great point. I mean, I think. Um, people are, I think today don't even recognize how it used to be without a phone and things like that. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, there's definitely a lot of important concepts and, and learning experience. And so I, I guess one of the other things before we kind of sign off, um, just out of all the great bands, you, you know, we talked about, you know, Paul Butterfield, Johnny Winter, the band played, uh, 10 years after country, Joe, Sly and the family stone, Janis Joplin, Credence, I mean, was there a band that really stood out that you were like, man, this was just, you know, an iconic show or, you know, performance that, you know, just being there in the moment. Um, and, I, and I know you've seen a lot of great shows, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, it sounds like on this one, it was just, you know, everybody kind of came together. So so what was just some of your good experiences from, from some of the music? Uh, well, to, again, uh, I got to tell you, I think – over the years, my I, my old standby, my favorite band, has always been Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I, I just mm-hmm. think they're, uh, as far as uh, the ability to to uh, get their thoughts out of love and peace, and their whole, and of course they're phenomenal singers, great harmony. Stephen Stills, one of the best guitar players in the world. Then you add Neil Young with his incredible lyrics and music. That would be my top band of all times. But I got you mentioned another group, Creedence Clearwater Revival with John Fogarty and their West Coast guys. That was a phenomenal band. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, his brother Tommy passed away uh, far too uh, far too young. But John Fogarty carried on. I'd have to list them definitely near the top to Credence, and I'm glad you mentioned them. And, uh, of course, I loved, uh, I'm kind of a leadhead. I loved Led Zeppelin. I've always loved Led Zeppelin, you know, their music and their ability, and Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, phenomenal, phenomenal Mm -hmm. band. And The Who, which we got to see at Woodstock, uh, simply amazing. And The Stones. The Stones weren't there, but you know, I'm not sure why that didn't happen, but uh, see those guys still playing in their 70s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are these guys are some of the greatest musicians that ever lived. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are, are masters of their instruments. And I don't think you see enough of that in music today, except for Prince. Prince was mm-hmm. a magnificent musician mm-hmm. at, at every level. But mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you, I just, I miss uh, great, great musicians, rock musicians. And 
there are stations still around the country that simply play the rock from the 60s and 70s. It's still that good. And there are kids, you know, young kids that are, you know, growing up listening to some great, great, uh, you know, music from the 60s and 70s. And they realize how incredible these bands were in these, you know, it's so it's it's there it's all there it's just what 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 is cool if if we want to take some goodness from uh, there's always going to be evolution we're always going to be moving forward but what i what i like is the people those of us that are left that are still holding on to that era and uh, we're prejudiced of course we think it's the greatest music of all times i'm sure our parents thought the big band music was the best of their time so uh, music changes with the times and it changes with the uh, uh, you know uh, with the the society that it tries to represent that's just what music is it's our voice and uh, it's, it'll always be the most important thing to me in the world is music. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to live in an era where some of the greatest ever played. Yes, it was. And I, and I, I think that uh, just like you mentioned, a lot of people coming up still listening to that music. And I truly enjoy pretty much all that music. And a lot of my influences from my musical aspirations all came from that era and just some of the great, uh, music just really connected in a way that I think it still resonates. Um, it's timeless. So, um, well, Tim, you know, it's been a great just conversating with you, talking about your experience at one of the greatest iconic festivals, rock festivals that's in the history. Your experience is really incredible. Um, just hearing what you went through, um, as well as probably many other listeners out there had, had got to be a part of it so we definitely appreciate you coming on here and um yeah um, can you tell us a little bit about just a little background about your show that you're working right now uh on timboland and um just you know what you guys are working on uh you and terry yeah well if uh, if any any of your listeners out there uh were kind enough to tune us in on the internet at timboland.net uh terry and i decided to uh do an oral history of the baby boomers. That would be the folks born between 1946, like myself, through 1964. And we give a, each episode gives a, an overview of what was going on in that particular year. What were the hit movies? What was the hit music? What were the cars like? So we tried to, you know, go year by year and, and, important events obviously of that particular year also and we've got we've had tremendous response uh, on our show from people that just like to listen you know they can say wow well 54 i remember that year you know some of us that are a little older or, or 58 what music was big when did elvis really make it big so that's been a lot of fun. We we have two episodes that we need to finish up here this summer, which we'll do up at uh, up at Terry Studio uh, in Petaluma, and from there we're going to do kind of an open show. And I, as I said, I hope you and uh, Patrick are involved and uh, just uh, topical. And also we want to do some retrospecting and go back and on how events happened uh, in the past. 
And just a general information show. I know you're you're a blues man, which I love. The fact that you're a blues man and you play quite well, I might say. And uh, you know, you're you're a part of it, man. And I I really hope you're able to join us. And Patrick, of course, on the political side, who is deeply embedded in the politics of uh, our region here in Northern California. So I think it'll be a fun show. I think it's something that we can uh, enjoy and uh, we, we can take calls and uh, listen to people of all ages and, uh, you know, get information, provide some information uh, for folks of what's going yeah. on and how we feel about it and have some debates, you know, on the left and the right. It's politics are going to surface especially now, especially with a, a presidential election coming up. So if we can put all that together and play some good music, <laughs> you know, a variety show, that's what they used to call them. <laughs> and they used to call them variety shows. You know, yep. you'd get on it, you know, like uh, uh, Carol Burnett or whatever, and she'd have a musical cast and dancing and singing. Well, we won't be able to have any dancers or singers, but, mm -hmm. uh, or, I'm certain. I mean, dancing. You know, it's it's a it's an audio show, but just a good show about what's happening now, what's going on in the world, how we perceive it, and mm -hmm. uh, get some information out to the folks. And I'm babbling as usual, but uh, uh, it'll all come together when we're ready. You know, when we want to sit down and produce our first show, we'll all do it together. We're all experienced professionals, and we'll have a blast. Well, we're looking forward to that, both Patrick and I. Looking forward to being a part of it, hearing it, and uh, listening to uh, more of your guys' episodes also with Timboland. So if you guys want to check out Tim, find out more about Tim, you can check him out at Timboland.net. He's produced many shows, been in the industry for over uh, 40 years, and so he definitely has great insight, great experience. And uh, next time you come on the show, Tim, we're going to have to talk more about some of these rock concerts. I know you got some good ones in there, so we'll save those for... <laughs> so we'll save them for the next round but uh we thank you again for being on the podcast by the bay and uh we'll see you on the next time thanks again okay andre thanks so much it was a pleasure
Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that was a wonderful, fun rendition of Black Magic Woman, of course, from the era and the spirit of the Woodstock. And uh, that was yours truly playing guitar. Also, we had the wonderful drumming of Chris Sandoval, who is uh, one of our good friends and a wonderful drummer. He's still out playing. And also we had Fred Roulette. And so Fred Roulette was playing the lap steel. And he's another one of our good friends from that Woodstock era. Actually, he actually played with uh, Charlie Musselwhite and some of the guys from the 60s that came out from Chicago. And he's actually actually pretty well known here in the San Francisco, uh, the psychedelic scene. So you might see him still out and about playing. Um, Fred Roulette. And uh, also we had Burt Wynn on the bass, our good friend Burton Wynn. That was live at the saloon. Uh, that was probably a couple years back, but um, it was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. So with that, I think we're going to go ahead and sign off, and stay tuned. We're going to have our next show. We're going to have a great interview with the author of Silicon City, and this is Carrie McLellan, and Carrie actually put together really a wonderful book that really describes what is actually happening here in San Francisco. What has what what was fought for during the AIDS crisis, fought for by the Black Panthers, fought for by any number of immigrant groups that had to sort of stake their own claim here, fought for by every family that came to the Bay Area, is still alive and needs to be preserved in in part of this, even though this economic uh, transition is beneficial to somebody. Next time, check out Carrie McClanahan's interview. That's going to be coming up on our next show. So with that, signing off, and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. You can contact us by email at podcastbythebay.com at gmail.com podcast by the bay is a production of bay city communications and is sponsored by liberty realty liberty realty serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com and also highway soul productions www.highwaysoul.com you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And remember, you can listen to any of our episodes anytime on any podcast site. Until next time, stay tuned. <laughs>